More TV superheroes, just what the world needs. Ugh. Warning. DC on R&D, the Doom Patrol edition, contains adult language and discussions, as well as the occasional sexually explicit joke, and from time to time, some crude and off-color remarks. If you're easily offended, don't continue to listen. And then go fuck yourself. All right, hello, welcome everyone to DC and RMD, the Doom Patrol edition. All right, we're having a party in the studio. I've got my high heel stilettos on, and I look damn fucking good. I do. I see Paul looking at my ass and those heels. Those fake lashes look incredible on you. Yeah. Fishnets. Uh, David is naked, and he's flexing, and he's making Paul orgasm, I think. (laughs) He's very loud right now. Yeah, so we're here. We're going to be discussing... I, did, I didn't want to breathe too heavy into the mic. I'm sorry. I backed away there. Sorry. And we also don't want to summon the demon, so you got to calm down over there. Quit flexing, David. Put your shirt back on, David. <laughs> All right, so we're talking episode four, season two, titled Sex Patrol. God, I love this show. I was so excited. The moment I saw Sex Patrol... I couldn't contain my excitement. <laughs> you That was the funny part. I was thinking the same thing, and the episode turned out to be completely different than what you what any of us were expecting. Yeah. Well, I wasn't expecting the shenanigans. <laughs> you know, it's, it amazes me that I know the show is bizarre. I know the show is weird, and yet every episode manages to shock me. <laughs> I mean, when Crazy Jane punches a demon right in the fucking balls and defeats the foe. <laughs> Was it the balls or the womb? It, she, she, Did she, fist she grips the, demon? the baby and yeah. uppercuts using the, using the baby as her own fist. She uppercuts the demon in the butthole. I yeah. assume. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was the demon's womb. There was a robe. It was hard to tell. I don't know the anatomy of all demons. I don't watch that much Supernatural. I want to know the anatomy. <laughs> was it a butt womb? Is, can that be? Is that where males give birth? Because, I mean, assuming it. I mean, we're we're assuming the gender of the demon. Well, we are. Uh, and that's not right. So, and we should demons, never assume the gender. I do assume, though, that demons reproduce asexually. That's right. So, yeah, it was a womb. Okay, a butt womb. It was a it was a wherever you need it to be womb. Call it a butt womb. A butt womb. <laughs> a- <laughs> All right. So the synopsis: the Danny Zens hold a party at the manor to try and bring Danny back. Directed by Omar Madha and written by Eric Dytel and Tanya Steele. Yeah. So. Morally corrupt and Flex Montalo, along with the rest of the gang, are back and they bring a party. This episode gave us a bit of a break from the sadness. We've been going really deep with some of these episodes. And for the most part, just even though this episode definitely had some relevance for sure, and it had the classic Doom Patrol moments, it felt like for the most part, this episode was designed to give us a bit of a breather before we go into the I guess essentially the the last half of of season two. Yeah, I mean it's yeah it was it was a breather. It was kind of a refresh, a regroup of everybody, and then you know I'm sure something heavily story related will happen next episode because we're at the halfway point. 
Yeah. Um, by the way, I called Cyborg returning this episode. You did. I did not think he would show up so soon, but the way they had him come back did make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They to had what to was bring going him on. in. They had to bring him in because the way that the way the show is going right now, it's I mean, we've discussed it before how this writing team has has this magic of keeping every single character engaged and it was just a matter of time for for Victor to get back in the game, and basically he's back with the team. Yeah, I wouldn't say he's back in the game. I don't think anyone, any yeah, of them, no, are back, no in the game. back in the game. I, I feel like they are in a worse position right this moment than they've been since we've been introduced to the gang. They, like episode one of season one, yeah. they were better prepared, prepared to handle shit. And that's that's the weirdest thing too. Is kind of like it's almost like we expected the whole team to take a step forward since season one, mm-hmm. but it's like they've taken so many steps backward. But it's okay, it's okay because it works for the story that they're telling in Doom mm-hmm. Patrol. Yeah, well, and it kind of makes sense when you take a couple steps forward. And suddenly you're hit with the impact of discovering your problems. You come face to face with those issues. Sometimes it becomes a bit too much and you stumble for a bit and you come back up once you realize what's going on. But yeah, this episode was designed to move the plot forward, but also it was designed to give us a little bit of levity because we had sex demons, sex ghosts. (laughs) I mean, the entire episode had some of the weirdest elements I have ever seen on television. Sex men. And that's let's not even say television on this show. And that's saying a lot considering the bizarreness that this show is. I mean, am I alone at saying that this is the weirdest episode to date? Ooh, that's, that's a good one because there's been some really good weird ones, dude. I mean, the Nazi one last season one. Well, yeah, but that was bizarre. That was, that was like, for me, that was super fun though. It wasn't like, uh, and not not that the not that the sex party wasn't super fun, but it was just like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> yeah, okay, full blown nudity. I mean, I know this is an HBO show, but I still didn't expect it. Uh, from, they're they're from, earning that from, HBO cred now from CG, just like full pork and ghosts. <laughs> I mean, can I just say that this episode did all types of weird things inside of the fourteen year old Mike? I mean. <laughs> Rita orgasming numerous times. Oh, dude, that was, yeah. The fucking stock footage of, like, the the wildlife. (laughs) Dude, uh, yeah, can you imagine writing this episode? I wouldn't be able to have a straight face. The two of them together, the two writers, Eric Dytel and Tanya Steele, probably had the time of their life just ear-to-ear writing the bizarre things, taking that source material from Grant Morrison, because, yes, yes, all these elements are actually from Grant Morrison's run. And just having a field day with it. Because they definitely took some liberties. They did change quite a bit. And we'll get into some of the source material aspects towards the end of the show. So we can explain exactly who this demon is. But setting aside the silliness. The show did manage to use that levity. And in a meaningful way. Bring forward some new reveals. Things that we definitely needed. Again, shortened season. We have nine episodes. We're pretty much closing in on that halfway point after this episode. So we needed these moments. Further fleshing out our characters and using, again, or I should say yet again, the idea of parents as the thematic element to keep a lot of what was happening tied together. And it was made abundantly clear that we are and our Doom Patrol team are a product of 
their upbringing. And I love this aspect. I've been waiting for them to make a broad social statement. And they've been working towards this exact moment. We talked about it in the first episode. We talked about it during the second episode. The, the idea of parents and what they do to their kids. And they made it very clear. They drew that line in the sand. It's a social statement that honestly should be discussed a lot more. The effects of being raised by inept parents that, you know, do a considerable amount of damage to their kids, putting their problems on them, using them as an outlet. Look what Cliff said. These little fuckers ruin our lives. (laughs) And Larry's all like, no, we ruin their lives. That we we ruin our own lives and they reap the they pay the they pay the cost they pay the cost so to put it simply abusive parents that's that's what they're talking about and we don't need to walk on eggshells when we're talking about that because it is abuse abuse isn't simply or always physical abuse can be Everything that Cliff has done to his daughter, which I would definitely say that's some hardcore psychological abuse. Psychological abuse, yes. Uh, Larry, neglect. Niles, locking his daughter up like a prisoner. Cliff, let's clarify his issue. He's just such a toxic person that he destroys everything, including being a shitty father. But look at what he is a product of. He is also a product of shitty upbringing. Yeah. They made that very clear, I believe, in the very first episode of this season. Larry, as I said, abandoning his kids. Rita, to see what her mother subjected her to as a young girl is fucking terrible. And and I think that moment with Rita and Dorothy was just so telling. It, it, It galvanized what Cliff was saying about, like, the parents. But instead of having Cliff say those lines, it jumps to Rita, which I thought was a really nice nicely done by the writer because to keep all your characters Mm -hmm. engaged in everyone's Mm storyline and then tying Rita to what just Cliff just said was just, I think one of the most powerful moments in the episode. I agree. Because it's kind of like it to me, it, it was almost like a hero failing because this whole time we've been saying Rita is trying to become the hero, right? Mm -hmm. Right. She's made several steps forward. Yeah. This is the one time when she fails. Big time. Because instead of taking that step forward, like she's been showing in the last episodes, she gives, she fails because she does exactly what her mom does to her. Yeah. And we don't, and the thing that was weird, I don't know about you two. I don't fault Rita. I, I feel sorry for her, but I don't like, I never felt angry at that character because they explained what she went through and it, it, it kind of lessened the blow. To say that Rita's, uh, I, a, Rita's an asshole at that point. I think it was actually like like way worse uh, because as a little girl, Rita, like, you know, she was trained or, you know, whatever, whatever you want to say. They were grooming her to be this child star. So she could sing. She could dance. She could act. And offering to do those things, you know, naively thinking that's what you had to do to get the role. And then her mom brushes it off like I'm a freaking bone this guy. Bone this guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. But like. Rita had those talents. It just wasn't what needed to happen for her to get the part. Whereas Rita then uses the fucking phrase, like just straight up in your ugly monkey face. Like <laughs> that, that was so messed up. 
like she I think she used it worse than her mom did because her mom was like, that's not what the situation calls for. And I'm not going to tell you anymore because I'm going to bone this guy. And Rita was just like, you're an ugly little fucking monkey girl. (laughs) I get what you're saying, Dave, that you don't blame her. Um, Yes, she's a victim. But at the same time, what is Rita's biggest problem? Even last season, she purposely hurts people when she feels like shit and she hates herself. She wants others to hate themselves as well. Look at her entire backstory from last season. So is she a horrible person? I think she's made some progress, but I feel like she is far from being the golden flower the golden that flower. she wants to yeah. be. I mean, the, I think the, the the silver lining here with all of our heroes is that all of them want to be better people. They do, but they're shitty people <laughs> with lots of issues. So they're going to have moments where they fall back. Just like let's go with the the allegory of uh, of addiction. You know what happened? You fall off the wagon, which is something that this episode was was purposely doing. Everyone was falling off, falling the, off wagon. the wagon. Let's go back a bit here. I would definitely say Rita and you had touched on this a moment ago, Dave. I would definitely say Rita was more or less the focus of the episode as kind of a bizarre way she was used to unlock <laughs> or unblock. Let's use her, her words here to unblock her, to unlock something from her past that possibly she had been blocking or refusing to see. As we know, that's a thing that happens all the time with people that have suffered a traumatic event, something that was getting in the way of her progress. This was one of the things that she had to deal with. It's something she had to confront. And as we know, she doesn't do very well when she has to confront elements from her childhood and the amount of pressure her mom put on her at such an early age. And just like Cliff fell off the wagon last episode, by the end of this episode, it was Rita's turn. Yep. And like you mentioned, when Dorothy asked if she was beautiful and Reader told her to focus on her other talents, that was fucking harsh. It was the only moment, I think, in the season and a half that I've watched where I just didn't like Rita. I'm like, that's fucked. This is a little kid who's already going through all types of shit. And you of all people should know exactly what this little what girl is going. going through. And like, personally... Especially because they've built, they've been building her up as a mother figure, yeah. t- showing her t- how to cook, how to, cook how to do, put her makeup on. They were putting her in that role so they can, so that they can then have this moment to show that she is a product of her mother. Mother. We always hear, read about this in psych textbooks about parenting. Many times, parents end up being their parents without even realizing it. And the dude, this is the genius of these writers. The fact that this is how you write a show. Most shows would do all of this in one episode. She's going to teach her how to cook. She's going to take her, take Dorothy under her wing just so we can can have this moment. But no, not with Doom Patrol, who knows how to write. They set it up from the very first First. fucking episode. Rita was the most welcoming, was was the one that would accept Dorothy and not be angry at Niles. And it worked so that we can have this moment so that we can say, fuck, Rita, you, you fucked up. You fucked up. It's a powerful moment. And it just without that buildup, it would not have had the same effect because they're trying to drive home the point about parents. 
And if we didn't have that buildup, this moment just wouldn't have worked the way it did. Look at what you went to immediately, Dave, when we're talking about Rita. This is the first thing you brought up because it had the biggest impact in the entire episode. Yeah. Also, it's going to I'm sure it's going to make waves in a big way and and cause all types of issues with Dorothy moving forward. Oh, this opens the door for for the candle maker. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Obviously. <laughs> Another uh, manipulative abuser taking advantage of a child. Yeah. 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 Especially the I mean, you know, whatever the the predictable reverse psychology at the end, which is that's like a pedo. It is. He's a pedo. He has the he has the characteristics of a pedophile. And again, just to drive home the point, because these writers know how to do that. What did Herschel say? She is a child. Mm hmm. Reminding us that, yeah, she's a hundred and a, what, a quarter years old, she said, yeah. but she is a child. She just ages differently. She's naive. So mentally, she's 11. Yeah, it's rough. Now, Larry has come to the realization that he didn't just destroy his own life, but in his own inability to accept himself. He pretty much destroyed his kids. His problem last season was kind of setting the stage. It was dealing with him and, and dealing with coming out of the closet and realizing his self-loathing and not accepting himself. And now he has seen in this season, we have seen the consequences of what. Of how he treats himself and what it does to the people around him. He puts his problems on them, just like bad parents. They paid the price and now he's wrestling with that. It's it's a pretty strong statement about these characters because it's something that you don't do with a lot of superheroes. No, no you don't want your superheroes to be this like just, and, and shitty <laughs> and I mean, shitty. Yeah. And yet and yet the show knows how to create empathy, even though yeah. if someone Dave, I'm telling you, if someone were to say, hey, this guy abandoned his kids and one of them committed suicide, I'd be like, fuck this guy. <laughs> <laughs> but then suddenly you see deeper into their story and it kind of is a bit of a lesson on judging people and not really knowing the full story and what types of problems individuals have. It makes you almost second guess your own preconceptions. That's why that's why I was really happy that they continued Larry's story. I mean, essentially, Larry's story, we kind of figured that after season one, his whole issues that he had with himself were still going to carry on to season two. And we started seeing it, but it was dealing more with his family. But when the guy hits on Larry and Larry freaks out and kind of brushes him away and pushes him away. I like the fact that they called back to his insecurities. And then now you tie the insecurities to what Larry's going through now, dealing like with what you said about his uh, him abandoning his family, and it's like it, this show does things that no superhero show I've seen does. It, just like what you said, it makes these shitty characters very lovable, and you still root for them no matter what. You understand. You understand. You understand them. Understand you, empath them. you empathize with them. We know that they're shitty people. Well, because there is so much. There's so much effort put into their story and the the way their story is told that like even even like we care about them so we feel comfortable calling them shitty people, people. but like they're flawed individuals that is why we care about them why we want to see them overcome their troubles and 
you know, triumph at the end, the interesting, whether it'll happen or not. The interesting thing I realized in this episode was like, this was the, this was the episode where I fully realized that all the characters in this series were shitty. They were like just terrible people. But because of what we saw in season one, especially with Cliff, because Cliff was a horrible person. He's still a horrible person, but because like, honestly, in season one, he was shown to be the most, arguably the most horrible person out of the whole trip team because he just didn't give a shit about anybody. I mean, yes, he cared about cared about Jane, but when you come to realize that honestly, the only reason why he cares about Jane is because Jane reminds him of his daughter. Yeah. And just so that listeners out there understand when we say shitty, we're not saying you're a piece of shit, bad person. Fuck off. We're just saying that like what Paul said, it's just, they're seriously flawed, flawed. individuals yeah. that have put some who have made some really bad decisions. And that's more or less what this episode was really trying to. Um, I don't want to say, br- yeah, bring to the forefront, make it a focus. They're trying to show us that this team is toxic. Mm-hmm. Look at Larry, as you mentioned, Dave, about that whole scene with him and that the guy that came up to dance with him. That could have been a good moment for him to feel good about himself and dance. But what did he do? He allowed his insecurities to take over and he created an awkward scene that then destroyed and ruined his night. Yeah. Uh, it goes right back to what Cliff had said. It, it, everything what or Nile when that whole discussion between Niles and Cliff, everything they touch, you know, it goes to shit. So <laughs> they're trying to show us that this team is toxic and they destroy everything good around them. Look at Rita. What she just did was something that could have been something great, building the relationship up with that with a young girl. Larry's would-be dance partner. And to drive home that point about being toxic, toxic and destroying everything, this is the best moment of the episode for me because I love those moments of nuance. They use Danny. The metaphor of a broken brick that needs to be put together. But what decision does Danny make he makes a decision that no one else no other member of Doom Patrol is able to make he doesn't want to be that person any longer it's time for him to grow grow evolve be something different be something better why return to make the same mistakes over and over that was the point of Danny fucking strong Mm -hmm. a strong statement um yeah, I just I just wanted to I guess throw my throw myself under the uh, soon to be Danny bus. Um <laughs> I I thought that uh Larry was just being like, you know, awkward and and charming, mm-hmm. like he just, you know, yeah. he's 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 out of practice. Right. He actually probably never had practice hitting on dudes at all. Right. Um and he just, you know, lacks the ability to close. Uh but if if we're going to if we're going to chalk that up to various toxic traits, I got to reflect a little bit later. <laughs> so stupid. Well, I'm not saying what he did was toxic. I'm saying that his insecurity is what caused him to act that way. Yeah. Many, I mean, many people who act awkward is because there's a form, there's a sense of insecurity. I mean, I act you awkward. You don't say. I mean, <laughs> so, so I'm not saying that moment was him being toxic. That moment was him yet again, allowing his insecurities to control him. Yeah, and, and it, destroy an opportunity for something that could be good. And it was a clear reminder from season one at that moment when everyone's telling 
uh, Larry to sing. And then all of a sudden you have that really cool musical number in season one. And it ends with Larry basically going, I don't sing. Yeah. That shit hits so hard. Yeah. That's what, yeah. that's what this moment with between him and that, the guy that was trying to dance with him reminded me of Yeah, is because Larry's okay. still, the, Larry's still there. He's still that guy that basically says, I don't sing. And then walks away mm-hmm. because he's, he's not there yet. He's, he's not over the hump. So to speak. Oh, on, he could have gotten over the hump if oh, he, he went with it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. wrap, wrap these bandages around your dick. Just do it. Oh. <laughs> you would have sex with my negative energy instead. He won't kill you. Maybe. He'll get, he'll get inside you. <laughs> Actually, yeah. If if the negative energy just like brain touched both of them, then they could bone in like a mental plane. And, yes, which and nobody could be, even dies. Yeah, or get STDs. It could be a good time. Just touch yeah. everybody with the negative energy. But mostly, I, I, mostly I really Rita. Hope I really hope that we get there with uh, Larry. Yeah. I, does anybody else? I ship. I know Larry's gay, but I ship Larry and Rita. <laughs> I don't give a fuck if he's gay. I just want to see someone, even Flex Mentala. I'm like, dude, don't put your nose there. Put your nose there. there. <laughs> I can't take this show. I'm serious. The 14 year old in me just it goes insane. Like Scarlet Harlot. I'm like, holy god. Oh, dude, that was awesome. You were hot. I watched her walk down the stairs three times. Yeah, she, dude. <laughs> Diana Guerrero is fucking steamy as hell. You don't realize how steamy she is because they put. You know, she's super attractive, but she's always wearing like kind of scrubby clothes. Yeah. And then when they give her those moments where she can like spruce herself up, you're like, damn. Oh, yeah. And that's one of the personalities. My hot radar was correct. That 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 character was one of the one of the most awesome personalities of the character. We're not talking about personality, Dave. Okay. We're talking about tits. <laughs> so stupid. All right. So backtracking just a bit because i know we digress because we're talking about sex and that's just what happens and as soon as, soon as boobs enters the equation and happens so i was mentioning uh, danny and his ability to evolve and move forward and become something better whereas niles is not doing that as all at all and he's doing the same thing as everyone else he's falling back into the same habits his whole agenda this season is to put his daughter back into a prison rather than being a father and talking to her and teaching her. He puts so much effort into these other people that he, but he doesn't put any effort in sitting down, talking to his daughter and teaching her how to control essentially her inner demons. Instead, he chooses to put her in a prison and yes, I get it. The stakes are high you know, she has this horrible, wicked creature inside of her. But has he tried to purge this creature? Has he? Att- I mean, he's a bad scientist, but instead he'd rather go for the easy maneuver and, and lock her up. He's not learning from his mistakes. That's the point. He's literally repeating them, just like many of our heroes in this episode. Um, the good thing about Larry, going back to him just briefly, is that at least he recognizes his problems. It feel, I feel yeah. like he's the only one who truly recognizes his problems because that was what most of the first season was all about. And when he came face to face with his former lover, who's an old man, and that scene still hits me when I think about it. And his, you know, his his old boyfriend is 90 some years old and you look in the house, he has family and friends and he just looks at Larry's all, geez, man, 
like you're still stuck. You know, so at that moment, Larry did come to a general conclusion, you know, and said, you know what? I yeah, he's right. I am. So he at least recognizes his problems. And then yes. you you add the uh, the suicide of his son and what he's done. He sees everything. So he's not. Blind to it. Yeah. And he seems to be the only one out of the team that knows it, that that is kind of ahead of the game when it comes to dealing with their right. own personal demons. Right. Niles is all the way freaking back there. Like I don't he's, think Niles. I don't think Niles really thinks he did anything wrong. Well, I mean, yeah, I think he, he finds a way to justify it. Well, think about it. Think about how he talks with Cliff about like how he talks about Dorothy. It's go protect my daughter. Well, why don't you? Yeah, you go protect the daughter. Why are you freaking sending your team? But it's it's because like what you were alluding to, Mike, about how Niles, this is who he is. He hasn't gotten, he hasn't really been smacked in the face to show that big flaw of his that as much as he loves his daughter and tries to say that he's a great father because he's making this great sacrifice, he doesn't realize that he's being a terrible father. (laughs) He's actually more like the Doom Patrol this season than he was last season. They managed to create a pretty nifty way to keep him aligned with everyone. Because last season, most of his issues were shrouded in, in, mystery. in mystery. We didn't really know what he was about. So it was kind of hard to connect a character's spine, you know, his characterization or his individual narrative to a general theme. At least we didn't pick up on it. Perhaps if we go back now that we know his end story, maybe we can pick up on it. But at that time, we really didn't see it. But now in this season, they're really drawing those those uh similarities the similarities especially yeah. when you think about like um the scene uh in the beginning toward around the beginning of the season when we see his reaction to seeing say the wendigo he wasn't scared he actually enjoyed it yeah he looked at it and was happy to see it that that evil thing just came out of your daughter and you are happy about it yeah that does, that doesn't sound like a good father, but Niles is like going, "Oh no, it's okay, <laughs> it's all right." I mean, that's that's not the one that slaughtered everybody either, <laughs> and like you know, we, she's we more, know he, straight up why he was happy to see it too, because like he knew he knew that whatever was in this cage was going to have some connection to his his lover, his daughter, or whatever. Yeah, because we don't know if the Wendigo is bad. We assume that it's a. a protector like a, protector. a good one i mean a the, the spider's not bad the scary mirror face lady yeah. isn't bad i think only the candle maker candle maker is, which is a were, naughty man which we could probably assume he doesn't belong mm-hmm. like he probably found a way to invade her body somehow possess her so we'll find out we'll find out yeah so it was nice you know we're talking a lot of shit about niles but it was nice to see niles this is why this show is so frustrating because right when someone makes a few like you know, some progress, they take, you know, five steps <laughs> back away. because we do see Niles try to make good with Cliff. You know, he kind of make, they kind of make up a bit, break the bet, break the bread, if you will. And hopefully ho- not break the bed. That would have been, a, that weird, been weird. a weird gay moment that uh, <laughs> I don't think anybody ships Cliff and Niles. I just, I don't see it happening. Have you David seen no, that on social no, media? No, 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 no. Yeah, that'd be a little strange. <laughs> that'd be a little strange. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully this will be a turning point for the two of them. I don't think all is forgiving, but perhaps they can work a little more nicely together. Now, Dave, you had mentioned them bringing Cyborg back. 
And I had said, it makes sense. Oh, no, it was you, Paul. Mm. It does make sense for them to bring it back at this moment. Bringing Cyborg back to Doom Manor so soon was a bit surprising. I did not expect it, but it worked to drive home various points, uh, particularly the one that we've been talking about, making poor decisions. The entire point of having Cyborg leave was for him to deal with his problems. And what did he do? I mean, he tried and then he stumbled <laughs> once and he was like, fuck this, fuck this problem. I'm going home. Yeah, he, he decided to run away. He comes back to the very place he was trying to run from. And to make matters worse, I mean, what's that whole thing that him and Larry said? He's all, why are you coming back? He's all like, uh, to, for healing. I'm paraphrasing here. And he's all, do you think you can get help here? He's all, no. Then why are you here? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, was, that, that, that moment was kind of hilarious because it's kind of like, yeah, Cyborg, we thought you would actually learn something away from the Doom Manor, but. Well, he's no longer just, okay, so we had always said Cyborg belongs because of trauma, right? Yeah. Well, dude, it's a whole other level now. It, it is. I, and I didn't see it until this episode. It's more than just trauma. He has that wallowing mentality the inability to improve because you're held back by something you don't want to confront you don't want to confront it so they have really doubled down on cyborg's depth this season they they didn't just go down the route of ptsd they brought us a reason why he should be included in this show and for me it works and perhaps you know I don't want to say he doesn't belong here because I feel like much of the season I would be contradicting myself. Much of the season is about them needing each other. And I think eventually this can be Cyborg's refuge, Doom Manor. Absolutely. But I think it's clear that he's got to handle his issues pertaining to his preconceptions. That's his issue. He's a little judgmental. And part of that has to do with Ronnie. Yes. He's very self-righteous and a bit judgmental, which are two symptoms of a bigger problem besides the obvious, the struggle with PTSD. Yes. His preconceived notions are preventing him from moving forward with his life. When you are too stringent, you can become immovable in the way of a mindset. And if you're not willing to accept another perspective, you can't grow. And that is Cyborg's problem. He's unwilling to accept change. He's unwilling to accept something different, something unexpected, something that's not like him. Yeah. And at first I was like, why are we introducing this Ronnie lady? Like, what's the point? And now when you see how they're using her, dude, every time the show I feel can't get better, it just gets better. Well, if Ronnie was never introduced, Cyborg would be irrelevant. He'd be absolutely irrelevant. Absolutely. And, The thing that I'm really happy with, because in season one, we had there was a lot of issues with people, a lot of fans saying, why is Cyborg part of Doom Patrol? Why is he shouldn't be here? Because fans have this conception that Cyborg is, quote unquote, above this. (laughs) Obviously, he thinks he is, too. Like when the Sex Patrol came, he said, I'm Cyborg. What are you doing? But that's part of his problem. That's part of his problem. Yeah, just the I'm cyborg mentality of it all. And that's what I thought was really interesting because it's he has preconceptions. The preconceptions Preconceptions that he's better than them. That he's better than them. And it's what like fans have thought 
about Cyborg in season one. And I'm like going, the, the writers were intelligent enough to basically say, we need to do something that will make Cyborg, give Cyborg something that is his own, yeah. but make him so interesting. And they took a concept that basically wasn't even part of season one, but it was part of season one's production about how the fans did not want Cyborg part of this show. Yeah, fuck fans. And, and that's what well, the writers it's, did. It's, yeah. it's interesting yeah. that like, so at this point we've got, we've got Cliff and Larry who I think both know that they're, they both are fully aware that they're shitty and they want to improve, but I don't think either of them have like any idea how. how? Yet. Yes. Um, and then you've got like Rita who is, you know, probably this next episode going to realize that she's a little bit of a fuck. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Niles eventually will get there with him. But Cyborg right now is kind of like a, a different thing. He's yeah. like, it's like Cyborg is just straight toxic. He's not necessarily hurting anybody else, but he's absolutely hurting himself. Wherein he, he knew he had a problem. He tried to address it. And when he got any kind of pushback in doing that, he just like enabled himself to give up on trying to improve. Yeah. And he's just back for, <laughs> as, as you said, that quote, he doesn't even know why he's just, he's just back. Cause he yeah. doesn't know what else to do. Yeah. And as I mentioned, he's just he, when you're so set in your ways and you refuse to see another way, he's a Boy Scout. And that narrow vision he has, that's what's preventing him from growing. That's what's preventing him. It's it's really interesting what they've done, because all of that is actually on par with Cyborg's characterization, not yes. even just on this show, just him as a as a DC character. So they're using it. And kind of twisting it as a negative. It actually is really good. It's really, really good. Yeah. So Jane's inner struggle with her alters for primary seems to be at an end. And maybe. I, yeah, maybe. I, and I hope it's a maybe. That's why I have like question marks on my show notes, like a bunch of them, because this was the strangest thing for me, or the strangest part of the episode, I should say. Um, and just let's go through the hot points here in this episode. She was kind of just tossed into the mix of the chaos. And through that chaos, we saw several personalities come to the forefront as primary. Every single one of them struggled with being out in the open and eventually relinquished by the end of the episode. Jane relinquished control to Jane. I can assume by the words I give up, they recognize that Jane is the most suitable person to deal with the real world. It was it was interesting because like Hammerhead actually like Hammerhead finds the problem of, you know, of the episode or of the, you know, yeah. like the conflict um, and, and like addresses it. She Hammerhead saves the day. Hammerhead MVP. But mm, she's like, yeah. I don't fucking want to deal with this. Yeah. And yeah. she was done afterward. Yeah. And that's the only iffy part about this episode. You can't tell me you wrapped up that whole issue with Jane's struggle with her other identities in a total running time of five minutes. Well, especially your, and, I, and I get it and it does work. I'm not saying it doesn't work. The idea of having her just kind of run through a day in the life of Jane. Well, it's it kind of proves Jane's yeah. point that I'm the one who should be up there. I can handle all but, this, the, the real world and everything it throws at you. It is it is a, uh, you know, I don't want to say standard. Whatever, sure, standard. It's a standard toxic relationship now, though. Yeah. So yep. all of the all of the others uh, realize, like, okay, well, shit. Yeah, Jane is best suited to handle this, so we're we're gonna have to let her do this. But like, 
Jane has no, they have no leverage on her. Jane has no reason to like change. So at the, at the end, they're like, Jane, you're back for now. Like she's not, you know, she doesn't have any drugs, I guess, but she's not going to put any more effort in than she was putting prior to, especially because they all know like, well, fuck, we can't do anything. We need her on the surface. Well, the the question becomes is like, I, I think that the, all the personalities up to this point, I to me, it seems that all the personalities feel that Miranda should be in control. The one that got tossed in the well. They all think that Miranda should be the lead. I don't I don't think this episode pushed that at all, but I can see them all going there now after this episode. Because if you take if you take into stock like what happened in the prior episodes of Jane dealing with it, all the personalities have no faith in Jane. They have no faith in her. They just in this one said Okay, you made a good point. None of us are actually tooled enough to deal with the outside world. You're good for right now. But all of them, I mean, especially in the last, I think, I forgot which episode it was, but one of the last episodes they dealt with Jane in the underground, they all started getting an idea that there's a a stronger personality than Jane that could actually take care of this okay so that's a good point you mentioned that they they have not given up on miranda they haven't we given had up talked it. about that um that they may find a way to or we had speculated that speculated that they may find a way to rescue her from the well i believe paul had the question did we did they rescue her we don't know yeah we don't know so that could be their goal at the end of the day like listen jane for now you handle this shit because this is fucking too much for us. Meanwhile, we're going to be planning our rescue of Miranda, especially with that one line from. But that would Hammerhead. make sense, though, if they were to go to see that would make this scene. OK, because I feel like for them to resolve this, I'm like, all right, Jane, again, even though it makes sense, I also have a problem that they resolve this issue in like a total of five minutes of running time. Well, I yeah, was, and I don't I don't I wouldn't think, call it a resolution. Yeah, it was. It was a the the other a party. Mm. Uh, so all of the other personalities as the other party realizing that they're in a toxic relationship and now they're planning the breakup. Yeah, it's it, it is just like what you said, Mike. It's a truce. Basically, they all both the, uh, both sides understand each other now at this point. And I'm sure I'd be surprised if Jane goes back to her bad, you know, habits like taking the drugs and knocking herself out just to keep her unconscious. But after going through this, Jane has to know at any moment, the personalities can actually gang up on her, drag her back and put her in that cage. She just proved a point that just right now she can be let out. Yeah. <laughs> well, and like, who's to say it'll be a cage next time. Maybe throw her in the well and see if throw her in the well. Out. Well, that they already the tried thing. to lure her there once before. Yeah. Right? The sisters, whatever their names were. And yeah. think about it. Cliff was the only one that was able to save Jane at that point. So, I don't think I don't think it, this issue has been resolved. As in, I like your I like your the way you worded it, Mike. It's mm-hmm. a truce for right now. Yeah, it's a truce. It's not going to be done yet. Yeah, that would make sense. If this was a shitty running team, I'd be like, "Ooh, you guys can go. You guys can go fuck yourself <laughs> with <laughs> but that." The, it, but, but we know this is the Doom Patrol writers, and they yeah. don't simply, you know, write something off that quickly. All right, and now you take everything that we've talked about and you piece it all together. And what they did in this episode was all designed to push the myth arc forward. That's how complicated this show is. You tackle each of our characters, what they're dealing with, 
keep it all tied together thematically. But then also you push, you use all of that now to push the myth arc forward. And that's what they did with Dorothy. All of these little moving parts were designed to push Dorothy into a very dangerous position by the end of the episode. That's how you write an episode of television, folks. You want to write TV? Study Doom Patrol. That's how you do it. And at this point, we kind of know who the villain is. The Who villain, is it? The villain has to be the candle maker. Oh, I thought it was the sex demon. <laughs> no, that's just an obstacle. Okay, I have a question for you, Dave. As a Doom Patrol freak, yes. do you get frustrated how quickly they move through villains? Do you wish that you could see, spend, have a little more time with them? Yes and no. Do you feel like it could be too much of a drag? If they like it would drag the story down if they focus too much on them. It might be. Because yeah. the thing is, I'm used to seeing the Doom Patrol how Grant Morrison wrote uh, wrote it. And this is actually a perfect homage to his writing. He doesn't me. spend a lot of time he with He doesn't spend a lot of time oh, on the that. characters. I think I just just looking and looking at and seeing these characters, I think a lot of them are you know, based on source material, so over the top and ridiculous that if we spent any more time than we do with them with specific we, ones we risk yeah. going into like i hate this instead of all oh, this is fun and weird yeah exactly i mean look it at could look, go into legends of tomorrow territory yeah look at look at how they're dealing with the candle maker yeah the candle maker is still a being of mystery right now we don't know where they're going to take with him but the way they've dealt with him they've kind of showed that he's the driving force of basically the I always mix it up, Mike. Protagonist? Protagonist is the villain, right? No, no, that's no. antagonist. That's the antagonist? Yeah. yeah. And he, we're he we're is, pro the antagonist and we're anti, anti the, the, yeah. the other one. So the anti uh, the antagonist is obviously the candle maker. Yeah. Because of the way he's approaching sense. things. It would make sense. Like, I don't disagree. I know, I know earlier you mentioned how pedo-y he is. Yeah. But... I love the fact that that's how they're portraying him because he is. It makes him more sinister, devious, sinister and devious. Like, especially with how they've, uh, whenever you have showcased him, how they actually, how they have actually brought him out from the comics, how they, you know, the sheer image of him. Yeah. It's weird. It's strange. But then you throw in the fact that he's devious. He's really, really creepy. He's like, he's like the, Beauty and the Beast candle character just twisted. Do you think they spent the whole uh, episode 10 budget on making him? I don't know. I mean, the the Wendigo was impressive. Well, we haven't seen much visual effects since. Wait, did we have any visual effects in this episode? We had, oh, we had some cheesy sex ghosts. The sex ghosts. But it worked. Yeah, I think I think all of that was like intentionally cheesy just to oh, give yeah, a yeah. further yeah, like yeah. Ghostbusters vibe to the whole thing. Huh. Sex demon. I don't know. That There's some, there, there, there had to be some production value behind the sex demon. Oh, come on. That's, a green, that's screen. a green screen with a bunch of odd, like, <laughs> composited people fucking. <laughs> Rotoscope out some porno scenes, scenes. and you have your, your that, that whole entire scene. But it still takes, it still takes something, Mike. It still okay. takes something. I, I'm not going to knock it. I'm sure it took a lot of work. And it didn't look bad. I thought it was fucking fun and creepy and weird and bizarre. All right, so let's go to a quick break, and then when we get back, we'll get into some Sex Patrol source material and the shadowy Mr. Evans source material aspects. We'll be right back. 
keep Rayman Digital on the air by pledging to our Patreon page. In order for us to continue to put out professional live broadcast and podcast episodes, we need your support. You, the one listening right now, we need you. So go to patreon.com slash Rayman Digital to pledge $1 to $10 a month. Keep us on the air. Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, RAINMAN, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, Mm. and even blow you away. Plus, free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. Go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus the 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code RAINMAN. Again, that's RAINMAN. Because without it, no free stuff. That's RAINMAN at adamandeve.com. Welcome back, everyone, to DC on RMD, the Doom Patrol edition. If you're a new listener, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. Just search DC on RMD, the Doom Patrol edition, and add us to your favorites. Also, leave us reviews. And if you are just a DC fan to begin with, just a DC fanatic, you can also subscribe to our regular DC feed, just simply DC on RMD and gain access to all of our DC discussions. All right. So let's talk about the sex patrol (laughs) or the sex men men. as they call them. All right. So powers and abilities. Let's talk about them in the comic books. The sex men are trained soldiers and enforcers. They're used to coping with various paranormal sexual situations They also carry advanced equipment. They are superhuman. For instance, if a sex man is beheaded, his head will remain fully aware and even able to talk. It can presumably be reattached later. And this, they, the writers definitely took some liberties here. They went more with a Ghostbusters vibe. Yes. Opposed to a 1940s, Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon vibe. The original look, they're they're silver with triangle helmets. Yes. It looks very pulpy, right, Dave? Oh, yeah. And it it comes straight from Grant Morrison's Twisted Mind. I actually like this version better. The sex men of the original Grant Morrison's run. I'm not quite sure if I was sold on the whole Ghostbusters vibe. Well, the thing, the problem that I knew that Doom Patrol was going to have, especially if they were going to cover Grant Morrison's run and bring in all these characters. Some of his characters are so strange. They're too strange. As in, they're too strange to actually... You think budget bring, reasons, though, yeah, kept bring, them from... Bring, bring into real production. Yeah. Like, bring him from the comic to the silver screen is... It, it. I think it'd be too expensive, and you'd run the risk of... A lot of Grant's ideas looking really bad. Well, come on. After Dr. Time or what is it? Dr. Time. 
Yeah, Doctor, yeah, Doctor Time. Time. Listen, they, Ter- yeah, terrible. I, I will. No, they can't ever say something's too ridiculous anymore. Come on. I, I feel like it's budgetary reasons. But it worked. It worked with Doctor Time though, because of like you, you entered his own realm. Do you? Think and he looked he, ridiculous, but it worked for that setting. Do you think the sex men are too ridiculous looking? I think they look pu- fucking cool, actually. I think they look f- cool. I just think that'd be really difficult to actually translate from the comic. You know what? It would have changed the tone. And it would have changed the tone. I will give you that. It would have changed the tone of the episode. Yeah. It would have changed everything that they would have, they were trying to focus on, which is this, the narrative that was going on. And I think the way that they portrayed the sex men, I was okay with because it worked for the story. Yeah. And the gist of what they are and what they represent still is the same. It's still the same. Yeah. Now check out this history. The sex men are one of, the Pentagon's paranormal units, they are teleported in small units to contain and clean sites where paranormal sexual phenomenon took place. Apparently, this is not an uncommon phenomenon. Such phenomena commonly involve massive releases of organ, also general sexual frenzy and unusual sexual practices is transfixed local or practices in the transfixed local population. The triad of sex men, Captain Kiss, Lieutenant Cuddle, and Lieutenant Torture. And dude, I was so happy as a fan, they continued the the names. Those are the actual names that they used. In the, I know. In dude, the episode it was I'm like Grant Morrison yes. on drugs. Is that is he a drug user? He's gotta be, right? Oh dude. He's gotta be. <sighs> I, I I think so. <laughs> it was just some some of the stuff that he writes is just so out there. You would never think of of a normal human mind coming up with some of the stuff that Grant Morrison has come up with. I mean, Paul, you're familiar with Grant also. I'm sure with like a lot of his comic history besides Doom Patrol. I mean, his run with Batman. So honestly, freaking weird. Honestly, yeah. Honestly, I don't like Grant Morrison's run on Batman that much because it's, it's fucking, fucking weird. weird. Um, you feel but, like it's a conflict of tone. Oh you, heck yeah, uh, yeah. Like yeah. for Batman, yeah. yeah, Batman. Um, he he has a whole story about the origin of Santa though, and uh, <laughs> I fucking love it. It's great. I remember you told me about that. Yeah. All right. So the shadowy Mister Evans. Introduced to this episode in Nepal as he's meditating, this bald guy with a periscope on his head aims at absorbing enough sexual energy from Rita, (laughs) as we saw, and the Danny Zins, busy in a party to give birth to give birth to a child who will end the world with his first cry, transforming Earth into a hellish landscape of orgies and depravity. That doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> it, it doesn't mention, actually, the thing that you read, it doesn't mention that all children instantly die, though. Well, listen, if you can have, what's the what's the cutoff for children? Or what do you call them children? 16. So let, 18. Okay, well, 18. Let me, okay, 18. you know what? I will make sure this doesn't happen. If they can't legally be part of the orgy, they're dead. If I was in this world, I would make sure my son was at least 18. And then I'd be like, fuck the other kids. I'm like, let's bring on the orgy. <laughs> Happy birthday, son. We're going to hunt a demon. I hate to say it, but I, I had an inkling after I watched this, and I was like, going, 
I think Mike's gonna really like I'm, I'm, Shadowy Mr. Yeah, Evans. I, I'm, I'm Team uh, Shadowy Mr. Evans because I knew I knew about his his uh, or uh, the the character from the comics, and yeah, just like what you said, his whole goal is to create this hellish so sexual weird. landscape. It's so bizarre. Dude, okay, so I got the stuff. The here's the stuff from the actual source material. Okay, Grant yes. Morrison stuff. You ready? He claimed to be the serpent. The original tempter who fell Adam and Eve with promises of forbidden knowledge. Yes. And just as forbidden pleasures, as Lucifer proved to be that tempter, it remains to be seen what Evan's role in the ordeal, if any, was. Although his hostility towards the biblical God, a repressive tyrant in his perspective, was quite real since the beginning of time. The shadowy Mr. Evans spilled in the cosmos his influence, living in the dirty thoughts of teenagers, spurring <laughs> saints to carnal sin, enjoying any possible sexual perversion in his trans-dimensional mansion, the Liberty or the Library of Dust. <laughs> and again, I say Grant Morrison's my hero. Dude, Grant Morrison is either a complete genius or a madman or he is just literally doesn't take writing serious. He's all like, yeah, guy, sex demon. Uh, he goes into he's got those dart boards of yeah. ideas. He's just three, three, three. Yeah. There we go. That's the villain. There is no in between. He's either a genius or he's a hack. <laughs> there is no other, there's there's no no other way in between. There's no in between. And it, I'm going to go along the lines that he's a genius because there's meaning behind all of this lunacy there's usually an allegory or he's trying to express a thought that's why that's why dude just outside of doom patrol i mean me and you have discussed actually in a couple of the doom patrol episodes the possibility of like john constantine being in it constantine could not survive in grant morrison's mind because he's too normal he's (laughs) that's it i just constantine's too normal it's and he's not either (laughs) it's uh I don't, it's so fucking like he could he could be a hack and a genius if like just imagine imagine that he has this like lifelong friend every time he's writing right and this guy's there with him and this guy's like but you can't fucking make a villain that is these things and then like he does like a ryan he, like if i was writing and ryan was and like ryan was like i bet you can't make his penis really big big <laughs> okay oh, yeah i could do that <laughs> All right, so let's move into final thoughts. Dave, you want to start? Sure. Um, Again, Doom Patrol is one of my favorite, at this point, number one favorite superhero show right now. It There's nothing really else that brings a smile to my face nowadays. And in this episode, I had the biggest giggle fest just watching everything because I'm like, they did such a fantastic job staying true to not just their own narrative, but the history of Doom Patrol itself, like, I really do like the little nods of the sex men and keeping names, cuddles, kiss, and torture. That was freaking, that's, that was awesome. And just the way that they've actually taken these characters and treated them, why can't we see this more series like this? Where superhero <laughs> series. Oh, okay. I was like, it's like superhero series. I mean, like. No, do we really want really more series it. like this? You're talking about like the bizarreness or just the, yeah, the good because, writing? Because like the, the both, because like the writers here are not afraid to go there. But if you think about it, every single uh, 
the one thing me and you, Mike, have always discussed is writers for superhero shows and superhero movies are always afraid to go too far. With Doom Patrol, yeah. the writers aren't afraid. They're like, okay, we're just going to stick to our narrative, but make sure that we follow the characters. I think there's a lot of exp- – to be fair, I think for TV there and movies, there's a lot of expectations. And on the CW, you're just never going to get anything like this. They try to do it. I'm sure Legends was trying to bite r- – before Doom Patrol became its own show, I'm sure Legends, the, the showrunner for that show, probably said, you know what? I like Grant Morrison's run of Doom Patrol. I have a wacky group of people. Let me see what I can do. And that's what you get. You get kind of a PG watered down version with not with not the depth. It's it's void of the depth, but it has all the zaniness. Uh, then you have a show like Umbrella Academy. That's a hack of a show. It sucks yes. a big ball of dicks. And that's not even a thing, but I will make it a thing. It, sa- it sucks a big ball of dicks. <laughs> and that also people, I know that was a comic book as well, but people have said on the interwebs and correct me if I'm wrong, that Many people believe that even that writer who wrote Umbrella Academy, the comic book, also was trying to rip off of rip off Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol. So it's hard to it's hard. Am I wrong at that? Well, no, I, wrong? No, I was just, just going to pop in that the the only people that I know that have watched and actually enjoyed Umbrella Academy are people that haven't seen Doom Patrol. Yeah. Yeah. It, there was a funny tweet that went out um, and they they attached or they attached me to it because they know I cover it's my Hellblazer account. And they know I cover Doom Patrol and I was attached to it along with uh, a few other people. And they the individual said, have you realized that Umbrella Academy is just like Doom Patrol minus it's not good? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because like the, 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 it, uh, Umbrella Academy tries. Dude, it tried so hard it to tried capture that, so hard that, to that quirkiness. Capture quirkiness, but it was forced. It was so forced. It was really forced. Yeah. Well, let's let's get okay. What's your RMD? We're getting way off my, topic here. So RMD score. My RMD score for this episode, I'm going to give this a solid ninety. It's really good. It's I mean, if you've been listening to our show and you're not watching Doom Patrol, what are you doing? <laughs> what yeah. are you doing? All right, you, Paul. Oh, I'm sorry, Dave. What were you going to say? Something no, else? No, no. Go ahead. Okay, Paul, go uh, for it. Um, I just I, I don't. I hate. I hate this part of the show. I know. Honestly. You always struggle. Um, You're always. A, you always do a Larry on us. Yes. Yeah, you get all awkward, yeah. and then you ruin the day. Everyone's gonna melt. You, you ruin. <laughs> you ruin <laughs> my day. Um. So I. I don't know. I love how, like, great everybody is with kids on this show. At least uh, until the end. <laughs> um. But like, everyone has been so good with the little monkey girl. Like, like, like admirably good. Yeah. Like I, I know I have friends that are parents and like these, these, these fucking character actors that don't care about this child at all are better with kids than my friends (laughs) that our parents are. Um, so like, that's fun to see. Um, that whole fucking Willy Wonka scene. I just got to shout that out because for no particular reason, I was fighting back tears the whole time. It's good. It's because the show is full of heart and soul. That's why that moment is just is that moment is the embodiment of the show. It it expresses a feeling. Yeah, man. Um, just seeing the Danizens again and all of that. That was that was a fun time. I've uh, I've been waiting for that like literally since the end of the last episode we saw them. So that's cool, and I hope they're at least a you know once a season pop up kind of a cast. I gotta find out how Morley corrupt tucks her dick. 
because I'm just going to say, I know that sounds very harsh, but I just want to know because she looked damn good. I was like, look at the, the body looked good. There was no like protrusion. How does that happen? <laughs> well, let's be real. It's also a black dude. A black I don't want to be disrespectful. Black dude. And we know black dudes have big dicks. How the fuck are you talking <laughs> about, bro? Effectively on my nights when I go out wearing my hot pants and heels, I need, I need to know the tricks. <laughs> I, I mean, trick. how, how do you hide that? I feel like Google just, I feel like you've never Googled it. I can't Google that. I feel weird doing it. I don't mind doing how, the actual act. How, just how to, honestly, they probably got YouTube videos where like, somebody uses Captain not the Winky. real stuff. I don't want to watch that. <laughs> how, how else are you going to learn? How are you going to learn? I exactly. want to know, but I don't want to learn. I just want to do it. <laughs> Go ahead, Paul. Sorry. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was surprised. I do like morally corrupt. I hope we're not done with that character because that character yeah. always oh, yeah. brings so much heart to the to the episode. I mean, yeah, after I was surprised that Cyborg didn't like you know go after the girl again after the talk that he had with Mora. But I guess uh, maybe like the end of the season or something, he'll stop being a piece of shit. We'll see. <laughs> um, I am gonna go with a. I know. I think 92. I think that's the highest I've gone so far. And this episode had a lot of like levity that I think we did need at this point. And it like it foot in the door for a lot of where are we going to go with these characters now? Uh, so I think it's set up a lot of that. And now this next episode, we're going to get like the, the ramifications of all of it. So looking, looking forward to that. No, uh, no, no flaws. I don't fucking know. Let's, let's okay. go. I'm just going to watch the next episode. <laughs> all right. So this is going to be really, um, strange to listeners and maybe even you guys, because the episode was really good, but it was my least favorite episode of the really? season so far. And it's going to get my lowest score. It's going to get an 82%. I have not rated an episode of doom patrol below 90. Really? Everything we talked about. Fantastic. But this particular episode, the meat was fine. The story was great. The way they moved the plot forward, great. But the formatting of this episode, there were some glaring issues. Introducing the sex patrol a when there's a quarter of the episode left. Introducing the ghost demon or the sex demon <laughs> more than halfway into the show. You're, you're literally 50% of the way in and you just introduced this obstacle. It should have been introduced a lot earlier. So there were some writing errors that really made me cringe. And I've never watched an episode of Doom Patrol where I nitpick the script because usually it's great. But the formatting of the episode could have benefited from a once over. And maybe these two writers aren't that great because the material and the meat is obviously Carver. The showrunner is the one who mapped out the story. So it's always going to be good as long as you have Carver in charge. It doesn't matter if your writers can't write as great as you because they're taking what you have set up. So I think possibly the problem might be the two writers because I feel like the format was uh, the formatting and some of the choices were kind of. eh. You should have introduced an issue with the sex patrol a lot earlier, much like the last episode with. Uh, Oh, uh, Mr. Uh, Red, Red Jack, right? Red, Red Jack. Jack, how they introduced an opening 30, uh, like what, a 90 second yeah. teaser. And they introduced us to Red Jack. Now, imagine if that episode had started without that. And then suddenly we just see him. We just see him. And we're like, well, that is odd. And I felt like that with the Sex Patrol. Suddenly we have the Sex Patrol and we know nothing about them whatsoever. 
and the episode is pretty much halfway done. I, I personally, I think I just chalked it up to how kind of like specifically ridiculous this episode was. But uh, you were right. Pacing did feel a little bit weird. I'm going to do take backs. I'm lowering it to a 91. <laughs> so I do, feel I, like, can... I do feel like a douche because this is a really good episode, but I, it's not as good as the other ones. As I can, a, for I can, me, it's an 82. I can understand your point uh, about feeling about that, especially like getting characters like that. For me, though, it fits the motif that they set out for Doom Patrol, especially with Grant Morrison, because like this is how that universe functions. You have these outlandish characters and you are going to see some crazy shit and it might, and it probably won't get explained kind of like in season one where we get introduced to a magical horse head that just shows up in one episode, but it's there. Yeah. But that was a a little, that was a little different though, too. That wasn't directly connected to the narrative of the episode. Like the sex patrol and the sex demon were the, they were the overt obstacle. They obviously weren't the real obstacle. That's the, the re- thing. They weren't the real obstacle. Though. And you know what? And that's why this episode didn't get a 60%, Dave. So I'm already giving them the benefit of the doubt because my original grade was actually 73 because of the formatting. And I talked myself up 10%. I just don't, <laughs> I feel like you can't, in my opinion, you can't justify by saying this is like Grant Morrison because Grant Morrison writes comics and I, and in comics it works. There's a specific way you have to write TV. Don't reinvent the wheel. So yeah, that's why that's why I understand your point, especially when you made it taking a look critically. Just for see, me, I just, think that's the key word there. Just critically, critically, I, yeah. But it, it, for me, it's basically when I when you look at it and you're established in about the universe and you know how this how all these characters are very unique in their own right. We're only going to be seeing like bits and pieces of this universe here and there and not get like full-blown explanations so so david's gonna gatekeep source material and mike hates doom patrol now (laughs) join us next episode join us next episode all right i want to thank everyone for listening to our discussions just as a reminder please help us out on patreon patreon.com slash rainman digital if you're into various other fandoms we do a we do offer additional content, but if you just want to help us out because we do, you know, as a network, we do about 50 shows a, a month as a network. A dollar helps us. The least you can do. Thank you. And good night. Now comes their reckoning. They lashed their whips at you, dear Lord. And now they will be lashed with eternal flame. I have been faithful unto death. Crown me and let me be seated by your most holy side. Yeah!